Good morning. Welcome to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Aberly. Today, my guest is David Sill. He is a former senior vice president of sales for a online technical support company called PC Helps here in the Philadelphia area. He was uh, in that position for 14 years. Today's topic is going to be self-confidence. And it's something I've been wanting to do for a little while. Uh, gets kind of back to the mental health feel of what I did for the last few years. But we're going to hit it from different angles. I want to know what is real self-confidence. Uh, what is real self-confidence compared to arrogance or cockiness? How do we teach our kids self-confidence? How do we get it ourselves as adults? And how do we maintain it? And what happens when we lose it? Because inevitably in life, we're going to have our moments where we lose our confidence. So we're going we're gonna to hit those topics, and we're going to learn some things today, and some things I think we can pass on, hopefully, to our kids. David, welcome to the show. Sean, good morning. Great to be here. Hey, man, I appreciate it. It was a great idea when you came up with this, and we talked about it, and the time is definitely right to do this. Before we begin, I want to give the definition of self-confidence. When I saw this morning on Webster's Dictionary here online, the definition of self-confidence is... Confidence in oneself and in one's power and abilities. Then in the definition for self-esteem, a confidence and satisfaction in oneself. Now the difference there obviously is satisfaction in oneself, and we'll touch on that aspect of it later. But confidence in one's power and abilities, David, how do you... How do you measure that, uh, especially coming from the corporate world? Sure, sure. I think very simply uh, you measure it by the presence or absence, John, of that, that belief that I can impact the outcome here, whether that's in a professional role, whether you're trying to sell something, uh, whether it's uh, as a kid trying to take on a new challenge. It's that, it's that do I believe that I control the outcome here or not? perhaps control the outcome entirely, but I can influence the outcome here. If I have that belief in myself, that to me is the, is the way to measure the confidence. Now, do you think self-confidence is acquired? Uh, are some people just born with more of it? Is it environmental? Is it a survivor skill? I, I happen to believe it goes in all those directions. Now, you know, you work in sales and marketing, and you've been in that high position. I also work in sales and marketing. I handle business development for an environmental company, so I'm in the process of actually hiring a couple people right now. And that's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at what, who are they? Where did they acquire this self-confidence? Is it for real? Is it false? What do you think? Where do you think it comes from? Sure. Uh, I think it's a combination of, of a couple of important areas. I think past associations are, are very powerful. So, you know, you might have had that experience as a young person or as a professional where you got it done and you delivered. Um, you know, I, was, I went to law school and I, I took the bar exam, and I'll never forget the power of the moment when my uh, wife called me up to let me know that we both passed. Uh, they posted <laughs> the scores online, and so, you know, you, you got over the mountain that day, and so you draw such emotional strength from past successes and past associations that I think that's a, a, a great place for that confidence to come from. And I also think, John, that maybe one that people don't think about much is leaving your comfort zone. Yes. That, that's, that vulnerability is where a lot of confidence comes from. I took two very... Um, memorable classes as an undergrad at the University of Pittsburgh, both electives as a liberal arts guy. I took a class in public speaking, and I took a separate class in improvisation. And those two classes, in all my years of education, those two classes stand out from the pack because of the impact that they had on me, my, that awareness that says, look, if you want to be confident, a way to get there is to put yourself in situations where you're decidedly not confident and grow through those and that's then where a lot of a lot of your confidence will will also come from see for me it was more of a survival skill i think as i grew up into my you know going into my teens and stuff i i stuttered profusely i i stuttered till i was about 15 uh i'm dyslexic uh so that causes its own problems there uh for me once i discovered uh weightlifting bodybuilding, exercise, sports, uh, able to master something, control my body. And, and you hear about that all the time. Someone who went into the gym as a 98-pound weakling came out with, you know, like Arnold Schwarzenegger and all this confidence. You hear about sure, someone sure. who went in, who was getting the crap beat out of him, bullied, and they learned uh, martial arts. And then they went on to become 
uh, martial arts expert, or in most cases, they went on and used that self-confidence for something else, be it business, uh, growing themselves, growing their families, and, you know, and so forth. I look at the kids around us today, and I know you have children. Uh, I, I know I have kids. Mm -hmm. And what do you make of this everybody wins attitude? Everybody gets a trophy. Uh, I mean, I, I, at a certain age, yeah, I don't want you know you don't want to destroy a five year old. But at what point does that stop and the real world kicks in? Hey, not everybody wins. No, you're exactly right, John. My wife and I both are, are strictly opposed to, you know, third, fourth place gets a trophy. That, that sort of pervasive mentality. Um, I, I think that I think it's dangerous, and I think I've seen the end result uh, in, in working with the younger generation uh, leading a sales force. You, you, you start to see people that come from right from college with a. Eh, you know, a little bit of an entitled attitude, quite yes. frankly, because yes. they've been so coddled since birth and, and been hoisted as the winner, even in cases where maybe not. You, you actually weren't the winner. You finished fourth. Um, I think that's where that comes from. I think it's dangerous. And uh, I think as parents and as society, we have to really keep that in check because, uh, you know, no, everybody doesn't get a trophy in, in life. That doesn't, doesn't work that way, and we all know that. Well, you, know, you look at the daughters. Now, Charlie, remember, you have... I have four young daughters. That's right. You have four young daughters, and I have two. Uh, my oldest just graduated from Drexel with her nursing degree. We're so proud of her. She oh, got, excellent. got her first job last week. She will now be part of an OR team at Jefferson Hospital All starting right. in October. Hey, and, oh, yeah, she can start paying us back now. There I'm looking go. forward nice. to that. But I look at her, and I look at her confidence and her drive, and, and I know her mother and I had something to do with that, you know, the way we raised her. But... When it comes to daughters, now, you know, you and I know each other a little bit, and you know I did a show on this last year, Father and Daughters. It is a special relationship we have with our daughters. We really do set the tone for their confidence in how they're going to go out into the world and deal with it as mothers, wives, uh, corporate people, and so forth. What do you see with that? Well, with your own daughters, how are you approaching that? And what have you seen in business when you're dealing with younger women coming into the workforce? Sure, sure. Well, I think the, um, first of all, I think for, you know, my own daughters, what I want to do more than anything else is give them that confidence so that in a crazy world where, you know, who knows what, what changes are going to occur next, but it's a crazy world, I want them to be leaders that more so than followers. And anybody that has enough of a, a stockpile of self-confidence, I think that they're going to make the decisions that are their decisions as opposed to just following the pack down a dangerous path. So, so that's, that's kind of a big objective, a primary objective of, of the way that I'm going to try to um, instill that in the girls. And I think that, you know, in terms of my approach, my kids are still young, but uh, one of their, one of their uh, teachers in elementary school has this, um, uh, has this concept of filling somebody's bucket. I think that to me, I, I subscribe to that theory. You just have to, you have to point out the instances where they should believe in themselves yes. because they're doing they're doing great things or they're trying or they're leaving their comfort zone even if they don't succeed hey you're at least you're trying like you have to kind of fill their bucket with positive emotion every opportunity you get and then also you have to remember that the you know words can be very dangerous and lasting so i think we're always careful as parents to not do the opposite which is to dump somebody's bucket by you know maybe saying something negative that they could then carry around with them unnecessarily so um, that's our approach so far. My kids are young. My oldest is just eight years old. So um, we're still in the thick of it. But that's, that's been the approach to this point. Well, if you're setting the tone now, the foundation of what you just said a few moments ago about being able to, to make a decision. And, and, and let's face reality, you know, in that pressure moment, and it can be in the teen years or it can be in business. I've experienced in business. I know you have. Are we going to do the right thing today in business? Are we going to make the wrong decision? Who's going to stand up and take the initiative? And that's where true self-confidence and belief in oneself, I think, that's when it comes out. And it goes back, I believe, to the parents in a lot of ways because you're teaching your children, hey, there is a right and wrong, and sometimes you just got to stand your ground no matter what's going on around you. Not an easy thing to do. No, sometimes the entire crowd is against you. Exactly. Even though you are in the right and you know it, that pressure, uh, and it doesn't get any better out there. Anyone who thinks that uh, you, know, you get through high school and college and that pressure is gone, no, it just comes at you from a different angle in the corporate world. 
Sure. It, it still stays there with you. And you've seen it, you know, 14 years, uh, you know, uh, as a, a senior vice president in sales. You've had a lot of people come, you know, through your doors. You've hired a lot of people. You've probably let go a fair amount of people. What is the, if you had to give me the first thing you're looking for when someone comes in the door to fill a position for you in sales, what is that first thing? The first thing that I look for is the ability for somebody to think on their feet. Um, you know, in the sales world especially, you don't have a lot of time to deliver um, your message. And so every second is precious. You, you can't squander any of them. And so, uh, you know, I always look for those kinds of individuals that had enough, uh, you know, call it gumption to just bring something to the equation here and now on the spot, you know, before they had a chance to practice or prepare. That sort of ability to kind of improvise in the moment or, or think quickly on your feet, that was, the, that was the first thing I looked for when trying to find sales talent. Now, communication skills. You know, we, and I said this to you yesterday, and I, and I really believe this, we have more ways to communicate now than ever before in the history of the world. You can text, you can fax, you can email, you can Twitter. You get instant message. Uh, so you got every possible way except maybe shooting a uh, flare up in the air, <laughs> you know, saying, here I am. Well, you could probably do that, too, if you wouldn't get arrested for it. But are we really communicating? Does anybody really know anybody anymore? Uh, it's so much easier to hide behind the technology and not put yourself out there, so to speak, because you're not really held accountable. Yeah. Yeah, you're not held accountable, and, 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 and a lot of times it's just people communicating past one another, that whole, you know, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not listening, I'm just waiting for the next chance to talk. Um, that, you know, the communication needs to be two-way, and I think a lot of times it, it, it isn't. And, you know, I also think that where, as communications relates to confidence, my theory is that the easiest, most natural thing for any of us to do, John, is to just be ourselves. Like, nothing could be more authentic than to just be yourself all the time. But if you have poor communication skills or, 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 you, or, you, or you have deficiencies that you feel you have with the way you communicate, what that does is that inhibits your likeliness that you're going to just be yourself. Those with poor communication skills aren't very self-expressive. And so essentially what that means is that that whole realm of confidence from being yourself, that's not as available to you as it needs to be because it's closed off by poor communication skills. So in working with sales talent, one of the things that I found, and, I, and like you said, I had a chance to work with a great group of, of people uh, across a bunch of years, and it was, a, it was like a fascinating laboratory for all this stuff, frankly. And one of the things that, um, you know, one of the things that, uh, I found was that if you can get somebody back to that, that, port, that part where they're confident expressing themselves, that's where the confidence comes from. So if you work on things like public speaking, if you work on things like how to tell a good story, there's all these very practical skills, John, that I think if you can develop them or discover them with an individual, now all of a sudden, especially in a corporate world, that's going to give them confidence and give it to them through communication skills. And I think true self-confidence weeds out jealousy, petty bitterness, sideline crap that goes on in business, uh, in sales. Uh, not, a diff not an easy field, uh, to let people know that. Uh, not one of the easiest jobs there is. If it was, everyone would be doing it because it does pay, pay pretty well. Sure. Uh, the pressure is there. You constantly are being monitored. You have to produce. Uh, picking up the phone. Making a cold call, uh, for people who aren't familiar with that, that is basically picking up a phone, identifying a potential customer, uh, be it a company, be it an individual, and making that first phone call and connecting with them. I've been doing this for 20 years, and I still occasionally get call reluctance. That I, sure. I'll stare at the phone, and I'll find some paperwork to do for the next 20 minutes. I still get it from time to time. Completely uh, natural. You know, it, it's, it's, but to find that confidence, um, I think you have to fail more than you're going to succeed in life to find that confidence within yourself. It's a survival skill. It's overcoming and adapting. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I would say that, uh, you know, th there isn't failure. There's just learning. There's, there's trial and error, and you tweak, and you go on to the next one, and, and uh, you know, failure has to be embraced as how you're going to grow, uh, especially as, as a sales professional. Now, you talk about communication skills. You know, people don't have to be 
radio talk show hosts or, you know, uh, great speakers, public speakers to be able to communicate well and get their point across. It's unfortunate if you can't communicate, you can be one of the most intelligent people to walk the face of the earth. But if we can't get your information to people who understand it and can utilize it, it might as well just be a waste because no one's ever going to know. Agree. You know, and it's just one of those things where I think that can be taught and harnessed uh, as time goes by. You don't have to be naturally gifted in order to to acquire those skills. I think you can find them and, and maneuver with them. And we're going to take a break here. We're talking about self-confidence today as it pertains to the business world, as it pertains to one's personal life. We'll be back in a few moments. Matt from Rivers Monroe. Check out Soundstage on WCHE 1520 Thursdays from 4 to 5 p.m. with new host Mike, my good friend from Rivers Monroe, as he talks with upcoming local artists and musicians. Again, that's Soundstage every Thursday at 4 p.m. with Mike Monroe on WCHE 1520 a.m., the talk of Chester County. But is it time for dogs to have a social network of their own? So is it time for dogs to have a social network of their own? Is it time for dogs to have a social network of their own? Is it time for dogs to have their own social network of their own? Is it time for dogs to have a social network of their own? Good question. Man, you ask good questions. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. That's a great question. First time I've heard it on about 15 interviews. I'm very thankful to ask that. If you're looking for the latest in fashion, beauty, health, lifestyle, and entertainment with unique and interesting guests and the questions that you're always wondering that no one asks, then tune into The Brin Project every Wednesday at 12.15 and every Saturday at 12. And you can stay updated with the show at facebook.com forward slash The Brin Project. That's The Brin Project on Wednesdays at 12.15 and Saturdays at 12. I'm Don Tollison from the Philadelphia Eagles and you're listening to WCHE 1520 AM, the talk of Chester County. Good morning. Welcome back to Life on Edit. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guest is David Sill. He is a former senior vice president of sales for an online tech support company here in Philadelphia. Uh, he has 14 years' experience in that field. We're talking about self-confidence today. We're touching on it in, obviously, the business world, uh, in particular sales and marketing. But we want to see how do you get there with it, uh, children, how do you raise them with it, how do you maintain it, you know, everything that goes into self-confidence. Now, David, you, you know, you've had a, a pretty good life. I mean, I know your bio a little bit, and uh, you've got a good thing going there, beautiful wife, four daughters, uh, career and everything else. Where did your self-confidence come from? Can you trace it back to your parents? And from that point, where do you take over? Yeah, I, I do think I trace it back to the structure that I grew up in, both uh, my parents uh, and immediate family, as well as uh, I just had great friends from a young age, friends that are still my group of best friends to this day. And so I just always kind of had a, a, a very safe and encouraging environment to just be myself. And so I, can ha I have memories from just different points in time where I just felt very good about being myself, and that is attributable to, uh, to my mom and dad, my sister, and, and uh, my close group of friends that I ran around with. Now, I see self-confidence as part of a basically a no-retreat, no-surrender type attitude. You talked earlier about passing your law boards, which is extremely difficult. Uh, just to get into law school, obviously very competitive, and then to complete the task at a high-end college and pass your boards for the first time. I mean, just, you know, it's once-in-a-lifetime stuff that, that you can definitely look back on forever. But where did the confidence come from leading up to that point? I mean, there had to be times during law school where you're like, man, I don't need this crap. You know, I just don't need to be reading you know, six volumes of corporate law tonight. I'm tired. Is this, is this what I really want to do? I mean, you have to find a way to tap into that somehow. I know I've had to and still have to. How do you go about that process when you have lost or your own self-confidence is wavering? How do you tap back into it? I think a lot of it, John, maybe is uh, 
you know, you, if you if you read any neuroscience, there's there's rituals that you can go through to sort of like pull yourself out of a rut or or or, or find that find that happy, confident place again. And so I think I've always been really. Um, given to that method so you know for instance music can be very powerful a, you know a soundtrack from a movie or a song that had importance to you in, in some personal way you can just associate those those great feelings and you can anchor them to something like a song that you could listen to whenever you want and so i think that how i've always pulled myself out of a funk is through these types of rituals of uh, just sort of just trying to reprogram the brain to you know think about the stuff that needs to be about as opposed to downward spiraling into that into that funk and I think it's that way for everyone to, to, to re-tap into uh, their own personal self-confidence uh, a way to come back from being defeated I know for me it's going back to the basics uh, for that means for me that means going back to the gym basically pounding my body into submission I figure the mind has to follow next uh, getting that confidence being able to handle uh, heavier weight again or, or competing in a sporting event or even sitting down and reading a book and it doesn't have to be a self-help book just something where I've picked up some knowledge and and the reason I'm bringing this out is because I think a lot of people in this world don't have the support they need on a consistent basis to maintain positive self-confidence I think you really have to tap into it more so than often into yourself, you know, from yourself. I agree. I agree. And I also think that in the future, I think we're going to see a lot more coaching in this regard. I, I, I believe fundamentally in the importance of coaching uh, as that kind of a structure to, you know, to, to keep you focused, to keep you, you know, to keep you honest, to keep you motivated. Um, I think coaching is terrific. That was my style of management um, in sales. And I also think that, you know, you, you hear so much these days about the uh, big companies that are introducing wellness programs for their employees. Yep. And we all understand the reasons for that, but I think that that'll probably broaden. And I think that a wellness program, I'd like to see someday include that mental game too, that, uh, you know, the mental and emotional side of, of well-being as opposed to right now it's more rooted in the physical realm of, hey, let's, let's try to make our employees stay as healthy as they can. So you know, I, I think there's a big future for that. I have to agree with you. I think if you're looking at in the corporate world, in particular sales and marketing team, keeping that level of their individual self-confidence and team self-confidence up is going to be far more productive, obviously, for the employer. Uh, the bottom line will be better. Uh, but I think we're just, as you touched on, we're just learning to kind of delve into that. I think people sometimes have a misconception when we say self-confidence or one who has a good self-esteem. I think there is a quick image of arrogance, uh, maybe a cockiness. Uh, people who, who truly are self-confident, uh, don't get me wrong, they, you know, I think that happens at times. I've been guilty of that. But I think they're more willing to help people to put themselves out there and truly help other people uh, achieve what they want and need to achieve. Uh, they don't feel threatened by that. Have you seen that? Oh, absolutely. I, I, think that's the, I think that's the very definition of leadership is to provide confidence in advance of a victory. Um, that's always how, you know, again, going back to my experience uh, leading a, a big sales team, it, 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 I found myself not paying attention to the things that most people would obsess over, you know, so the sales metrics or the, or the sales funnel. Those are the objective measures in a very black and white world that sales is, but I always felt that my job was more to, to harmonize the people. Um, let, me, let me read you this yeah, great yeah. quote that I wrote down. Um, I read this one time, and this pretty much encapsulates it. This is from Master Chen Chen from some uh, book on Eastern philosophy that I read. He basically says, see beyond what is seen. Never forget that a wheel is made not only of spokes, but also of the space between the spokes. Sturdy spokes, poorly placed, make a weak wheel. Whether their full potential is realized depends on the harmony between. The essence of wheel making lies in the craftsman's ability to conceive and create the space that holds and balances the spokes within the wheel. I like that. I love that, yeah. But I like I mean, that, that. That's, that's exactly it. It's like you've got to have that kind of a culture that says, look, 
Everybody needs to just be themselves. Everybody needs to believe in themselves, and we all need to work on that as a team. There's no place for, you know, being threatened by somebody else's success or, hey, for me to win, you have to lose. Like, that culture needs to be deeply rooted for, for at least in a sales environment, for, for that success to thrive. Now, you can look at the military culture for that, in particular special operations. You don't have individuals. You have team members. There is no Rambo. It doesn't exist in those kinds of uh, occupations because someone like that can get you killed. Mm-hmm. So it just doesn't exist. Getting into the corporate world, even in the personal world, within yourself, uh, uh, a relationship, uh, self-confidence within yourself, I think, uh, bleeds over quite nicely, for lack of a better statement there, uh, into a marriage in particular, because if both people come with good self-confidence, they're going to hold each other accountable for the other's actions. You're going you're gonna to hold that person accountable for who they are and how they present themselves. And, and, and hopefully that person comes with uh, their own mindset where, hey, you know, if I make a mistake, I, I'm sorry. Is it that damn difficult for people out there to say, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. Here's a couple ways I'm going to try to fix it. What do you think? I mean, is it so hard? What have you seen? Yeah, it, it, it is so hard because I, I think that uh, just like people don't like change and resist change at all costs, I think people resist anything that uh, puts them in a spot of feeling vulnerable. Um, you know, whereas I was saying a couple minutes ago, I, I think vulnerability is, is very powerful. If you, if you have a group of people, whether it's a spouse, whether it's close friends, whether it's uh, professional colleagues, if you have a group of people where, you know, you can laugh at yourself and you're not really worried about feeling stupid or, or, or vulnerable or putting yourself out there, like, that's, a, that's powerful stuff if you, can, if you can achieve it. But most people don't like to be, to be vulnerable in front of others. You know, it's interesting, uh, being, you know, 20-plus years now, in sales and marketing. Uh, when I first started out, I grabbed a couple books along the way. I read, uh, you know, How to Swim with the Sharks and a few of the other books. But one I, I, I do remember reading and was able to take a quote from was uh, Zig Ziglar. I'm pretty sure you're familiar with Zig Ziglar. Sure, I've heard of Zig Ziglar. He um, made a comment, and I think I'm quoting it directly. I, I can't be positive. It's been a while. But more or less it goes, you know, the more people you help get what they want and need, the better chance you have of getting what you want and need. And I really believe that. And I believe that on a level where it's sincere, not going out there just doing something, waiting for something in return. I mean, going out there and saying, hey, you know, yeah, I'll be glad to help you with this. Why not? Because I figure someday it'll come back to me, maybe not two days later, maybe not 20 years later. But someday, you know, why not? If you can help more people get what they want and need, well, you know, why not? How is that impeding upon me as a human being? If anything, it just, I can see how it increases one's self-confidence and one's self-awareness. And I think that's very important. We're learning more today that social IQ is almost more, is might even be more important than actual, you know, IQ itself in the business world. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and something like, uh, you know, soft skills training and awareness, those are, those were looked past, but I think everybody's maybe starting to get it a little more that, no, this is, this is fundamentally important because we all need to work together towards, towards commonly established goals and, and therefore those things that you know, seem kind of you know, touchy-feely. No, it's, it's, it's fundamental. It's at the heart of solid communication and, and, and confident expression and, and all that stuff. Now, when you were running a sales force, mm-hmm. a pretty high-end one at that, and you had people coming in, something I've, I've experienced. Now, you know, when you contact someone and you're the salesperson, it could be business to business, it could be, you know, person to person, whatever. I don't care what people say. There's always a little bit of the other person being, you know, the person being contacted. It's a little bit on the defensive at first because it's a sales call. <laughs> just a bit. I mean, it's just the way it is. It doesn't matter if it's, again, business to business and you're dealing in high-end uh, commodities or you're trying to sell someone some... Uh, you know, plastic tumblers because it's football season. It, it is what it is. How are you able to help your sales team overcome that? Because you are aware of that if you're a good salesperson. You can feel the other person's uh, presence and what they might be thinking. How are you able to work with your sales teams on that? I, John, John, I always try to get the, the people that I worked with to appreciate the sort of the art of the game. Um, Within a sales role, there are countless opportunities for 
you to perform, for you to, you know, bring a role to life, for you to, you know, uh, deliver an, an enthusiastic plea. There's, there's all these artistic opportunities, and I, I try to get people to realize that, hey, if you just look at it through that lens, now all of a sudden, I mean, hey, it's your job, so you got to come to work, you got to do it, you have to dial the phone, and guess what? When somebody hangs up on you, you have to pick up the phone and dial again for the next person. But to keep that going... I think you need to sort of find the, the, the art that's really within it and, and kind of just have fun with that part of it as opposed to just, you know, clearly if you just focus on the rejection, I mean, you know, in the world we came from, rejection was 95% of exactly. what you got. Exactly. So you certainly can't spend the day obsessing over that part of it. Yeah, we're going to so hit back on that when you get in the actual sales aspect of it, what it's like to take rejection. We're talking with David Sill today. We're talking about self-confidence, the kind that comes from within, the kind that you take to the business world with you, the kind that you take for the rest of your life with you. We'll be back in a few moments. Wish there was a local hardware store that provided friendly, personal service, helping you find exactly what you need. Get you in and out of the store quickly with prices that meet or beat the big box stores. Well, look no further than Ace Hardware of Westchester. It'll soon be time to take the student and your family back to school. And did you know Ace Hardware is an official U-Haul truck rental location? They have vans, trucks, and tow dollies in a variety of sizes. And don't forget the August Hot Buys professional-grade decorative duct tape, which is very popular with the teenage girls in a variety of patterns. 50% off at only $3 a roll. 18-gallon clear tote storage bins, two for $12, or 72-quart size, two for $14. And a 5-in-1 inflatable chair bed with air pump, special purchase price, $39.99. That's a 50% savings. Ace Hardware of Westchester is located on Strasburg Road, just past the Daily Local News, and they're open seven days a week for your convenience. Have a question? Call them, 610-344-4811. Ace and Ace Hardware of Westchester is the helpful place. The Habitat for Humanity Restore has opened their second location at 345 Scarlet Road in Kennett Square in the former Acme Building in the New Garden Shopping Center on the old Baltimore Pike. They're accepting donations of gently used cabinetry, furniture, appliances, and clothing for resale to the community. So help the new Habitat fill their stores so they can continue to build affordable housing in Chester County. Habitat will accept donations Tuesday through Saturday from 9 to 3. Hi, I'm Ann Murphy, Certified Holistic Health Coach. Have you ever wished you had a personal owner's manual? Well, check out my show, New Approach Wellness. We'll talk about how food changes everything, thoughts, feelings, actions, and outcomes. We'll learn about the food mood connection, cravings, and how to connect your mind with your body. So join me here at WCAG on Wednesdays at 4 and learn how to tune into your personal owner's manual. I'm feeling sexy and free. Hello there, this is Al Meltzer. You're listening to WCHE 1520 AM, the talk of Chester County. Welcome back to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. Today my guest is David Sill. He is a former Senior Vice President of Sales and Marketing for an online tech support company right here in Philadelphia. 14 years of experience. David, I have a little bit in common in that. Uh, His years in sales and his management, uh, myself in sales all these years, also managing people. I'm in the process of hiring two people right now, senior people uh, for my company. So I'm looking at a different set of skills, but I'm also looking for those personal skills. And, and, And... David, I want to talk about that now for a second. Personal skills are, I think, a little bit different from outright sales skills. In my opinion, personal skills are someone who is not directly involved in sales, but has the skill set to handle sales situations. And in some ways, they're even harder to find. Would you agree? I would. Uh, yeah, I think finding uh, finding talent is a perpetually challenging endeavor and, and uh, never one that I felt got easier over time. You know, With more experience, I didn't feel that that became easier. Do you think a salesperson is, a salesperson is born? Are they created? Uh, a combination? I, I think you have to have the gift to begin with. I think some people don't, don't know they have the gift and then it can be discovered. But, but I still think there has to be something there about them to begin with. At that point, I don't think it has anything to do with, with 
self-confidence or, or anything like that. I think it's just an innate drive to want to do that kind of work. Yeah, I, I mostly agree. Okay. I mean, I, I think that it can be developed in the vast majority of people, but, but I would agree that there's probably a, 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 a faction of people that it's just a bad fit. Their, their temperament just isn't given to what is needed in sales. So, yeah, I think there's probably a group that would be hard to develop it, but I think most people, you just have to work on the right things. Um, some of the things we're talking about, some of these communication skills and, and confidence around those communication skills, that's what I think makes a salesperson. And I think you hit it right on the mark. That's why I threw the first question at you. Just because my skill set in sales and marketing or in business in general works for me doesn't mean it would work for you or the next person coming down the pike. A good sales manager, a good sales uh, president or, or trainer knows to find what makes that person tick, what their road is to success in sales, not some patented design. And, and I know from your experience, you, you were able to do that over the years with the people you hired, correct? Yeah, we had a, we had a nice uh, a system in place that was, that was repeatable and allowed us to grow as a business, but it was always at the individual level because everybody's different and what makes each person tick is, is, is what you need to pay attention to. You really do. Now for you, you, uh, you know, public speaking, hmm? something that's easy for you or something you've had to really learn to, to uh, you know, work with and, and, and become better at? for me, John. Okay, me too. Uh, I, I, I'm not quite sure why, but I've always loved it, and I, I have a terrific, take a terrific thrill out of sort of being on the stage or, or you know, giving the toast, or it's just, uh, I don't know, kind of like a rush. Uh, I like the feeling. Isn't it amazing? For some reason, you just get that way. It's, and I don't think we're being arrogant, wanting to be center of attention. I just think it's just a moment that we feel comfortable in. Yeah, I think that that rush of, of positive emotions around being excited, but you know, kind of nervous, but mostly excited. Yeah. That's just a that's an emotion that is is very enjoyable, very pleasurable, and so you just you just want to have that emotion. It's not about arrogance at all. And putting together a deal, working from the beginning of it, getting the sale, when there's so many steps into the process, people really don't understand. It's a drawn out process, and a lot of times. But for me, when I finally have accomplished putting that deal together, there's so many emotions that go into it. Uh, in the end, though, I always feel like as long as I've helped somebody, not just myself, not just the commission, not just the what I'm supposed to do for my job, I mean really sincerely helped the other person, the other company achieve something out of it. Uh, I, I guarantee you feel the same way. Is that something you try to convey to the people you work for or work with and hire and so forth? Well, sure. I think that the, you know, the, the organization that you choose to work for, so whatever product or, or service that you represent, I think that is the, you know, the place where that belief in helping the other person comes from. Uh, it has to come from your product or your service. I, I think that in terms of the people that I've led, I really got back to, hey, did you do everything that you could possibly do here to impact the outcome? If you did and you lost the sale, no, no regrets, no looking back, nothing to be ashamed of. You, 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 know, you didn't leave anything out there, as they say in sports. Yep. You brought it all, and, and you tried to impact the outcome. You, you were confident that you could, but hey, you know what? It's sales, so you're going to lose a lot of them. I, I always focus the team on just making sure that they could sleep at night not worried about, hey, is there that one other thing that I could have, should have been doing that I neglected to, and now, who knows, maybe that would have, that would have delivered the outcome I, I was after. Well, let's talk about failure. Failure in life, <laughs> failure in business, uh, sales. I, I think I probably fail nine times out of ten. When I make a contact with someone, they might not have interest right away. I might work the process for six to eight months, and there might never be a sale. It might sit. I, I took me seven years to close one deal once. It went on seven years. It wasn't consistently, but it was there every year for seven years, and finally it closed. How did you handle with the, you know, the people that work for you, especially the younger people? As we said earlier, a lot of them are coming into the work world right now. Having not really experienced any true adversity, it's been everybody wins, and it's a party afterwards for everybody. How did we be able to handle that not so as not to lose uh, the confidence, the self-confidence of the person that themselves might have failed? I, I think that you have to 
right there on the spot, you have to you have to shine a bright light on the learning opportunity. Okay. So you have that sales call. You know how many t- how many times we would come into a room, we'd be all excited for this uh, conference call. We got on somebody's calendar. You know, people in, in high places that are tough to reach. We all show up. We're excited, and you know the call goes south quickly. And and there's that. You know, like the all the air just got let out of the balloon. The thing that I always made a priority was let's let's break it down though together. Let's let's look at what happened here, and then let's let's close by agreeing that wow, think how ready we'll be the next time we see a situation like this. You know, so I think you really have to you really have to highlight that learning moment of failure and take something away from it that's positive, and that way people won't, tend, won't, won't come to look at failure as a bad thing, but as a necessary step in the learning process. See, I think a good sales manager, a good sales consulting team or company uh, knows and finds the people who you wouldn't necessarily think, well, right away, they, they, they'd be a good salesperson. You know, you wouldn't look at them and go, well, they'd be a good salesperson. You spend some time getting to know them, and you find out they have that, that personal IQ that IQ that allows them to connect to people on a level that's emotional uh, and there's a safety they feel with them. That is so important in sales, is to feel uh, emotionally connected or at least as some sort of safety connection to the person that's selling you. I, I, people, again, you're automatically on the defensive. And I think a good sales team, a good sales consulting company can teach people that. I think they can tap into that. I think that's something that you can find within someone you wouldn't expect. I agree. I agree. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, sometimes, you know, you can take a job and there's too much focus on, well, what is it that you do over at XYZ Company? And I think a lot of times, John, it's far more important to lead with, well, why is it that you're doing that over at XYZ Company? So, you know, if you're... If you have a service, for instance, that aims to, um, you know, uh, make young kids more confident public speakers, why you're doing it each day, why you get up in the morning, is because you believe in the fundamental importance of self-confidence to a young person. And so, I want to I want to connect with you by explaining my why, as opposed to my what. You know, the what is just the service that I'm going to offer plenty of time to talk about that later, but in making that emotional connection, it's, it's kind of like, what's driving you? Why, why are you doing this? That's, that's where, I think that's where you can make that connection most times. Now, I did want to back up a little bit. I don't want people to think that self-confidence is only something that comes or can be acquired by, you know, middle-class white people <laughs> or upper-class white people. Uh, you know, there are people from all walks of life who have self-confidence and somehow find themselves in the business world or another world where they don't know where it's come from, but it was innate to them, their self-confidence. They found it. They pulled themselves up by the old saying, your bootstraps, and they made something of themselves, or they were able to handle a situation and they were able to help other people when all looked lost. Uh, I think those are good skills that are still very difficult to find in people. Do you think we're just not looking for them anymore, Dave, or... They're just not there anymore or, again, are going back to that lack of communication. How, how come we're having such a hard time finding people to be, well, in the end, leaders, positive leaders? Wow, that's a great question. Um, you know, it's it, – I, I don't want to say it in the extreme because I don't think it's exactly like this, but mm-hmm. – Maybe it's that uh, life has gotten too easy for a lot of people, and so those opportunities to develop that grit, um, maybe they just aren't there the way they used to be. Like you know, like back in the days when you didn't get a trophy for fourth place. Um, I think a lot of those, a lot of those core values develop young, and so. Um, you know, I think we you have to be careful. Everybody, everybody wants to give their kids a, a better life than they had, and you know, to the fullest extent possible. We all want to do that, but I think that you can neglect instilling important traits uh, at a young age, um, like failure, like we've been talking about, or like like stick-to-itiveness, that that type, those type of skills. You know, it's interesting. I watch my daughters play at, at high level. Uh, field hockey, uh, high level, college level, uh, my youngest coming up now. And, you know, it's it, it's interesting. I watch them play. I've seen things occur. 
And I have never, and I can honestly say this, I have never felt upset, traumatized, or in any way, you know, out of control because they failed at something at that moment. Something happened, or they were singled out for it by the coach. As long as it's done, you know, with some, you know, within some bounds there. I'm not looking to be, you know, my daughters to be publicly attacked. But I don't fear failure. It's happened to me so many times. I mean, what's the difference? If you don't do it, you're not going to succeed at anything. I know you feel the same way. What do you think society is going to go in that direction? Do you see that coming back around where, like, you know, hell with it. Let's just do it. If we fail, we fail. We'll learn from it. I hope so. Uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about uh, where does entrepreneurship stand in, in America, and uh, you know, which 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 way is the pendulum swinging to support entrepreneurship? And I, I like to think that, yeah, I mean, there's obviously a lot of it going on, but I like to think that we get back there as a society because it, you simply look at the opposite as a strategy and you realize it's it's a losing strategy you know if, if everything is just safe and no chances are taken and you don't have any of that ah hell let's just do it and we'll see what happens if none of that is present i, I think society stagnates and uh it's just a loser strategy so i, I would hope that that would be the majority thinking yeah, we're going to hit. We're, we're going to kind of pick up on that. When we come back from the break. I want to take it a little bit different direction with our public leaders. Now, you're listening to Life on Ed. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guest is David Sill. We are talking about self-confidence, real self-confidence. Where does it come from? How do we acquire it? How do we pass it on to our kids? Back in a few moments. Barbecuing in the backyard is a true American pastime. Before firing up the propane grill, please remember these safety tips. Keep the grill top open when lighting and don't close it until you're sure the grill is lit. Use soapy water to check for leaks between the hose and cylinder connections. Never use an open flame. Always transport and store cylinders in an upright position and never store or use cylinders indoors or in an enclosed area. Brought to you by the Pennsylvania Propane Foundation and your local propane service provider. SafeHuntingPA.com is your guide to safe, successful hunting in Pennsylvania. Small game hunters are heading afield, and the Game Commission urges these safe... Radio PA and the Pennsylvania Game Commission have teamed up to provide hunters with the latest information on archery, firearms, tree stands, small game, and much more. If it's about hunting in Pennsylvania, it's at SafeHuntingPA.com. Keep your firearm pointed in a safe direction. SafeHuntingPA.com. Brought to you by Ram Trucks. Guts. Glory. Ram. The results are in, and you can experience the thrill of experiencing Kyle's Auto Tag and Insurance, award-winning service for all your auto tag needs or the agony of going anywhere else. Kyle's has been voted the gold medal winner as the top auto tag and notary service in Chester County in the Daily Local Newsreader's Choice Award Poll. With Kyle's 30 years of experience and his connection with the Pennsylvania Department of Motor Vehicles, he can do it all. Cars, trucks, small trailers, or even a fleet of corporate trucks. Kyle or his manager, John, will make it a smooth transaction. Need something notarized? Kyle can do that too. Kyle has two locations to serve you. The original location in the Gay Street Plaza in Westchester and their newest location in Thorndale at 57 North Bailey Road near Rafiti's Restaurant and Brenda's Vac Shop behind Kmart. And Kyle's is always less than the big wig. If you let your auto registration expire, Kyle can make you legal on the spot. Kyle's Auto Tag and Insurance, because you're entitled to great service. Hi, I'm Bill White. You're listening to WCHE 1520 AM, the talk of Chester County. Welcome back to Lifeline, Adam, your host, John Averly. Today, my guest is David Sill. He's the former senior vice president of sales for an online tech support company here in Philadelphia, 14 years experience. We are talking about self-confidence. Dave, before we took the break there, we were talking about, uh, you know, basically leadership and, you know, what's going to happen out here with the next generation. We're going to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and so forth and even accountability. But let's be honest, are our leaders really accountable anymore? I mean, does anyone really take a stand 
give the information. If they're proven wrong, they ap apologize and say they're wrong, acknowledge it, fix it, and then move on. It, it, or has it become just what we expect now? It, it's the same thing in the corporate world, I see. Uh, mistakes made, we don't acknowledge it, we, we gloss it over, we talk out the other side of our mouth. Uh, how can we expect our kids to come up with those kind of values if our leaders can't even do them themselves? Yeah, you're right, John. And, and uh, it's also that we live in a hyper-aware society with technology mm -hmm. such that we're just, everybody's just so much more aware. You, you know, you tell a you, you tell an inappropriate joke at a, at a work party and, you know, next thing you know, the world can see the broadcast of it by the time you go to bed that night. So I think that's another reason why it just seems to be so much uh, more of it out there these days. You know, it's a shame. I... I, I was raised if you make a mistake, you, you own up to it. Um, you know, I didn't have, I, I really had to pull myself up. I mean, you know a little bit of my story and, and that's just the way it is. And, and my self-confidence, you know, it comes and goes. I've had my moments where I've sat there after a business deal has been lost and I've put God knows how many hours into it. And it's like, geez, I mean, why, why don't I just go work at Wawa now? You know, it'd be a lot easier making a sandwich and no offense to people working at Wawa making sandwiches, but after doing what you know, Dave and I do, it would be easier, at least mentally easier, to do that than to put ourselves back into that arena, and and you know set ourselves back up again for possible failure. Uh, I guess with you, how are you going to move forward in your life to do that? I mean, what is your plan as far as uh, you know to, to keep yourself going? Uh, you know, what drives you to the next level is probably the best question. What's what's driving you to the next level? Sure. Well, I think, John, all along, it's, you know, I never went down the road of, well, first of all, I never went to law school because I wanted to practice law conventionally. <laughs> I went to law school because I was a guy with a writing degree, and I didn't know what to do with that next. So I said, ah, hell with it, I'll go to law school. <laughs> so so I'm sort of, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't necessarily give things uh, a lot of deep thought sometimes, and they still turn out okay for me. Um, whatever. Uh, but, but, but anyway, sales is something that, gave me such a terrific opportunity to be fascinated by all the stuff we're talking about today. Confidence, where does it come from? Communication skills, how can you build them? And so what I've done over the years is I've sort of, I've sort of built out a philosophy a little bit that says, well, you know, how many building blocks are there to make a, a more confident person? And, and, I've, and I've kind of written stuff down and codified it and said, here's a program that I think will take the average person and get them to a more confident way of existing. And, and, and it's through communication skills, it's through you know one-on-one -on -one coaching. And so what comes next uh, for me is to just stay rooted in all of this stuff and, uh, and do it as an entrepreneur. Uh, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna launch something in, in uh, 2013 that uh, is basically a, a coaching practice um, that also has a content element to it but it strives for all these things uh, that we're talking about today. It's particularly geared for, for sales professionals and sales teams, but also for anybody in a customer service role or, or anybody that just uh, wants to feel better about uh, self-expression, about, about the, you know, their confidence as a communicator. Now, you hit it right on the mark there, too. Just not in sales. Uh, there's so many other uh, levels to a business. Uh, the receptionist that picks up the phone, is she pleasant? Does she have a confident way about her? When she puts me on hold, does she say, one moment, please, or something to let me know she's putting me on hold and I don't feel like I've been disconnected? Uh, it goes right from the top to the bottom. It goes right from the CEO. How do they treat people? How do they treat people that come in? Right down to the receptionist or the maintenance people. You know, it doesn't take much to extend a hand and shake a hand to, to, to give a smile, to say hello, to say excuse me. Common manners, stuff we were supposedly taught by our parents and then reinforced through preschool and, and so on and so forth. I guess I can go in the next direction on this one. Uh, I'd like to see whatever you decide to do in the future also teaches common courtesy and manners because I think that's the foundation. Sure, I agree. Yeah. I, I was brought up in a, you know, one of the things that people always tell me is, is that I'm very respectful of people, and I think that comes directly from my mother. My mother is just uh, salt of the earth that way, and, and uh, I'm proud that I 
took that from her, that she gave that to me. And uh, it's, a, it's a great way to be. I agree. Yeah, I'm trying to f- figure out when it became a perceived weakness to say, excuse me, when you're in line, or I'm sorry I bumped into you, or, you know, something along. The only place I've noticed, though, maybe you've noticed this, too, the only place where everyone holds the door for you is Wawa. <laughs> Any Wawa in this area, the door will be held for you forever. Yeah, and not only that, the, the door's held like people are so so eager to hold the door. Yes. You have that little, no, you first, no, you first exactly. moment. You, you, you have that almost every time you go to Wawa. Exactly. I can go into King of Prussia Mall, the door can slap me right in my face. <laughs> you know, I could go into an office building in downtown Philadelphia. And security, you know, someone could go in and forget them even behind them. So, so Wawa has the fairy dust then. Wawa, for some reason, should be tapped <laughs> as the place to study uh, human nature when it comes to manners. Because I know that I'm just always really excited and happy to get my coffee. <laughs> I think most people are. Um, <laughs> my coffee, my newspapers, and my protein bar, and I'm a happy guy. My day rolls on. But, but you know, but in all seriousness, no, these are important things to any good company, be it a large or small company. Yeah. And, you know, and if you're training a sales force, uh, you know, they need to know the little things, too, the pleases and thank yous and how to send a thank you email or how to connect on a personal level. For me in sales, uh, I try to learn as much as I can about the person I'm dealing with. I keep a little profile on them. I'm not big brother. I just keep something. And maybe there's a reason to connect down the line. If, if they collect sports memorabilia, and that's something I do, you shoot an email to them. Hey, there's... Sports card signing coming up, you know, thinking of you on that. Or, you know, even in our case, our friendship developing, it's, it's developed because we have a couple mutual interests. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think if it's done sincerely, and that's the thing I think has to be stressed to people in sales, sincerely. People can see through the BS. You know, do you really care about that person? You're giving that information? I think that's important stuff. I think that goes the extra mile than just saying, hey, I want the sale. Can you give it to me? Yeah, I think it's important, and I think it's it's happy living, John. Yes, I think yes. that I think that if you can look at those those niceties, those those common courtesies, and say, hey, you know what, this is something that I consider important, and so I'm going to work at it and treat it as though it is important. Okay, well, all of a sudden, that's a that that's a very satisfying way to live, as opposed to everybody running around grumpy and miserable and and not holding doors for each other. You know, it's funny. This game might sound kind of corny or even BS, but. I really do enjoy helping other people. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I really do. I don't think I'd be in sales if I didn't. I don't think I'd be doing a radio show if I didn't enjoy entertaining people. Uh, I enjoy when someone accomplishes something, and, and I've been a part of it. I think that's a good thing. I, I don't think people with true, going back to self-confidence, the whole thing, people with true self-confidence don't get jealous of someone else's uh, accomplishments. No way. They just don't. They, they look at the person and go, and they size, well, yeah, they earned that. They earned that, and, and maybe I had a little bit of a hand in, in helping them with that, and that's a good thing. We had a terrific ritual, John, at the, the place I used to work, mm-hmm. uh, where every signed contract that, that came through, we would have a celebration where we would play the theme song of the sales rep. Each, each sales rep had a theme song, <laughs> and we would cue it up and play it. Everybody would get off the phones, and we'd all kind of you know, go over and congratulate the person that got the sale and play their theme song, and it was just a... It was just such a beautiful moment. Like it, it was those. It beca- to me, it became more about if we're doing that 15 times a month, that's a good month. If we're only doing it six times a month, well, then that's kind of a bummer of a month. And and celebrating other people's success, that kind of became the culture. That became the sales culture. And that's a beautiful thing. And and you know, we got about a minute 30 left, and I'm gonna kind of try to hit real quick with the sales confidence, going back to teenagers, kids growing up, and so forth. You know, if you don't have that support network, uh, you know, you're not necessarily dead in the water. Find something that you love. Uh, find something you can become an expert in. It doesn't matter what it is. People will come to you then for your knowledge. Uh, you know, develop your body along with your mind. Eat right. It, all the stuff that we're told to do, we don't do, but it all makes sense, and it's all helpful. And, and I try to show that to kids right now. Just because you don't have the golden, you know, the spoon, the golden spoon, or you haven't been born into the right circumstances, doesn't mean you can't get to where you want to be in the end. True. You can just have to go out there and believe and accept one thing, and I've, no, I've learned this. You're going to fail, and the most people that do succeed in this world have failed four, five, six, seven plus times before they finally made it. 
Absolutely, yeah. It's just part of the equation. And, and I just hope that, you know, you said earlier, a lot of people don't have that structure, that support structure to help them get there. That's what, to me, that's, that's what I hope to do. It sounds like what you hope to do is, you know, just be out there doing work that, that furthers the support structure for people that maybe don't have the, the things going for them that you were lucky to have. David Silk, thank you, my friend, for coming on, talking self-confidence with us. I'm going to have you back on in a few months, go a little deeper into it, okay? All right, John. Thanks, Thanks brother. Have a good weekend. Yeah, you too.